McShane Bible Study, day 299. Um, so, if you remember, we left off yesterday in 2 Kings 6, when the uh, Samaria is, is surrounded, they're under siege by the uh, king of uh, Assyria, or Syria, um, Syrians. And they, they're in trouble. And so the king just blames it on um, Elisha, I guess, because he'd been dependent on Elisha to give him heads up on, on how to avoid being uh, having his army captured or himself captured. Previously, he's upset that now all of a sudden this has happened and he's blaming Elisha. So he sends a messenger, Elisha ignores the messenger, and then the king himself shows up with his, uh, I don't know, he's a general or, or he's a captain, it calls him. Um, and Elisha says, hear the word of the Lord. Tomorrow about this time, a sea of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel and two seas of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. And the cap they used this sea as a measuring unit? Yeah, it's spelled S-E-A-H. Uh, a C was about seven quarts or 7.3 liters. Um, uh, it was just an, um, a measure. It's just a word for uh, how they measured things. And um, so, you know, the, the uh, captain whose arm the king is on says, if the Lord himself should make windows in heaven, could this thing be? And he says, you shall see it with your own eyes, but you shall not eat of it. Men of uh, God were often quite harsh back then, <laughs> right? I, I mean, you can understand in the New Testament why they expected God to come down and just bring down fire on people or destroy all the Romans or all that kind of thing because God had moved that way before many times, right? So it wasn't outrageous for them to assume that was going to keep happening but the, you know life was a lot more rough and tumble back then and uh elisha did not like this man <laughs> uh, doubting him and so he cursed him and wasn't this man also trying to behead him at the same time uh yeah i mean they they came with ill intent right they the king's looking for somebody to blame right and uh, it's interesting. So Elisha doesn't speak. To, I mean, the king's in charge of this deal, right? But he he speaks his harsh word against the captain. He doesn't uh, he doesn't say anything against the Lord's anointed there. So the Syrians, meanwhile, hear the sound of uh, the Armans. Huh? The Armans. Armans. I'm pretty sure. The Hittites and Egyptians. No, I'm pretty sure uh, it says, um, at twilight they set out for the camp of the Armans. Five. Verse five. It's not so, so they arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. Yours says Aramaeans. Well, that's why I'm confused. Because, um, yeah, that's why I'm like, huh, Syrians. That's why you heard me say that earlier. But the ESV is, is using Syrians here. Yours is using Aramaeans. Um, okay, well, that makes more sense to me, um, versus, let me pop over to NASB 95, we're in verse 5, yeah, NASB 95 uses Aramaeans, uh, 
Um, and so I, I was, I was struggling with the fact that where did Syrians pop into this? Um, cause you hear us Syrians a lot, but not so much Syrians, but, uh, you know, I, us. I didn't know they were a different country. Well, Aramea, you don't, it's not a strong people group, but the language of all those people, they all speak an Aramaic language, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so they show up here occasionally and, um, well, in this in this particular point, they're a strong people group, right? Mm-hmm. And and but sorry, ESV is calling them Syrians. And uh, anyways, they hear Egyptians and Hittites come. Well, they they hear the Lord makes them hear a sound of thundering army, right? So they assume to themselves it must be Egyptians and Hittites coming against them, and so they just flee. They leave all their stuff there. They leave their animals, their horses. I mean, they're obviously in a panic, right? Because yeah, you could you could get away a lot faster on a horse than you could by running, right? Mm-hmm. But they're in such a panic, they leave their horses and they leave all their wealth and food and they just run away. And and so we have some um um lepers who are at the gate and you know, they're they're kind of stuck out there and they don't have any food and they think, "Well, what do we have to lose? Let's just go see if maybe they'll give us some food these Arameans or Syrians." Mm-hmm. And they get there, and there's all this stuff, but no people. And so they're eating, drinking, having a good time. And then they start, they find gold and silver. They start stashing it away. And then it starts, morning's approaching, and they start thinking, well, we better tell the whole town here. They're all in there suffering, and we got all this stuff. So they go, and they tell the town. The king thinks it might be a trap. He sends uh, people to look, and he finds they'd, like, drop their clothes along the way as they're running away. Um, so they ran away naked? I don't know if that were extra clothes or the clothes on their back or, um, I could I definitely, I could, if, if you had like a jacket type of thing and you're running, you'd get hot. Maybe you throw that down. I don't know. I'm guessing. Um, and so then the word comes back. Hey, it's, uh, yeah, all, all of a sudden there's plenty of food. And so that captain that was at the beginning of the story is at the gate and he sees it and he says, ah, you know. Wow, it's true. And then the people all trample him to death on the way out. So he saw it, but he did not eat of it. Um, and so, yeah, don't mess with Elisha, huh? He got trampled to death by people? He got trampled to death by people. That happens. And that doesn't happen often, but um, uh, you hear about it a lot. The, the Muslims have this thing where they go to Mecca once a year, and uh, sometimes... They have so many people crowded into this small space. You hear about some of them being trampled sometimes. Um, it can happen. Um, I've never seen anybody get trampled, but... Um, it sounds like the worst way to die because you're like, ooh, oh, ooh, Yeah, it would not be fun, huh? And we move on to First Timothy 4. And he's encouraging Timothy to... Rise up in the Lord. Let's just start from the beginning. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the word of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed, having nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. Eight. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So he's saying... 
for one, train yourself up and, and set up an order where other people can train themselves up in godliness. He's saying, you know, you can train your body and that's good. Like, you know, we, we could stretch. We could work on running a long time so we have better endurance. So when we need to uh, run in a game or something, we, we're able to. And, and of course, that's better when you're young and you're actually in games. When you're older, that sort of thing is good because it keeps you healthy. So you you live longer, right? And you eat, you, you watch what you eat so that you're healthy and you live longer and you don't have, you know, bad things happen because you're putting junk in your body. So he's saying, doing these things for your body has some value, right? Mm-hmm. He says, but so much more value if we tend to our spiritual life, mm-hmm. right? If we have a garden mm-hmm. and we don't tend to it, yeah, and probably not. It's not going to have good things happen. But if we tend to it, we water it, we clip things that need to be clipped, we, you know, do all that sort of thing. We're going to get good fruit in our garden, right? Mm-hmm. Well, he says you need to take care of your spiritual life in the same way. And so he's saying, you know, f- focus on this, um, command and teach these things. And, and Timothy was a young man. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so while he often, he, he I think he just taught like in the last chapter or two, right? He said that it's important you don't set up a leader who's a new believer, right? Uh-huh. So like at your age, you're, you're never going to be a leader, Mm-mm. right? You, you, you simply are not, uh, haven't grown to a place in the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, well, if someone's 25, mm-hmm. um, and they just come to the Lord, they absolutely shouldn't be a leader, mm-hmm. right? But is it possible that if someone like Timothy, he's been trained up by Paul for however many years, and Paul has said, you know, the Lord says, you're ready for this job, right? He's, mm-hmm. So you're commissioned for this job. And he's saying if, you're, if your elders don't listen to them, don't, don't let that bother you. They're not being led by the Lord because the Lord has assigned you for this. So although you're maybe young in your flesh, you've come to a, a, a place of a certain maturity to be able to handle. Now, would a 25-year-old Timothy be as mature in the Lord as a 50-year-old Timothy? No, I'm assuming, I don't know, but I'm assuming Timothy stayed with the Lord throughout his life and had grown considerably in the Lord by that time. But at 25, he was mature enough in, and I just made up that number. I have no idea how old Timothy was here. Um, But let's say he was 25. Um, He then, Paul's saying, you're mature enough for this and don't let people who are older, because it is the proper way in the Lord that we should grow and mature our whole lives mm-hmm. and that the, the younger should always look to the elders for, uh, for direction in the spirit. That is the proper order of God's household. However, they're saying, hey, you people have gotten off track, whether... In this case, if they're talking to people who are Jews who followed God their whole life, mm-hmm. but maybe are new to the life of the Spirit. Or they're just talking to Greeks who 
are brand new to following the Lord at all. Mm-hmm. But, but they're old and they're going to have wisdom in certain areas because they've lived longer. And so in the natural, they're going to naturally look down on somebody young telling them how they should live their lives. Right? Mm-hmm. It's totally natural. Mm-hmm. However, Paul's saying what's being introduced here is beyond their experience and beyond their understanding. So don't let them hold you back from what God has for you. Mm-hmm. Because God is doing a new thing here. You see that? So obviously, as you boys grow up, we want you to, to, you know, grow up in the Lord so that when you are, you know, older, you can represent him in a way that uh, belies the number of years you have on this earth, right? It's, you know, wow. So people can think, wow, he's got amazing wisdom, uh, for a young man, right? Mm-hmm. All right. <clears throat> then we move on to Daniel 11. What was your question? Is this end times? Okay, so, like I said, the Lord didn't take me through this and explain all this. So, it, it's confusing to me, too, when I read it. Um, there are things towards the beginning of this that seem rather obvious in secular history. So I'll explain those. Mm-hmm. And then it goes, and it, it's all kind of vague, but certain things are so unique that even though they're vague, it, it's pretty clear what they're probably talking about. Uh, then it just gets super vague, and there comes king after king, and he doesn't really talk about what he's talking about. And then by the end, we get to the end times, because the part I'm going to explain is definitely not the end times at first. He's talking about like direct history, right? Like who's going to be king after this king? Um, and so he talks about a few Persian kings, and then he talks about a, a mighty king shall arise. He doesn't, oh, he, uh, yeah, he shall, so before the mighty king, he shall stir up all against the kingdom of Greece. So Persia's going to go at war with Greece. Well, we know that's, that happened, right? Yeah. And then um, a mighty king shall arise. Well, that's um, Alexander the Great, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Alexander the Great conquered like more of the world than anybody. I, I don't know if one of the cons surpassed him, but at that time, uh, I mean, a lot of the land the cons were conquering, no one lived in. Um, but so he, he he's considered the one of the greatest military kings or generals or whatever ever right i mean one of the if you look at a pack of cards one of those is alexander the great um and um so but he he died at like 23 or something mm-hmm. and so he went what he left he didn't have uh, uh any kids to to leave his kingdom to so he had like four generals rise up and my Mr. Van knows this stuff a lot better, and, and, and he might be able to, if he went through, figure out who some of these kings that are listed afterwards are. Because he, he's better at Greek and Roman uh, history than I am. I've, I've never particularly studied it. Um, but, so, then the kingdom, his, his giant empire was divided into four different sections at that point. Mm-hmm. Um and Egypt was certainly one. And I guess Rome, because I think Rome has a, a different 
beginning than that. I, 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 I really don't know how the transfer from Greece being the power to Rome being the power happened. Maybe Rome, because uh, Rome was, was like two uh, brothers. Rome was a city, then it conquered Italy, then it conquered the world. Right, but how did the transfer of power power happen from Greece to Rome? I mean, maybe Rome one of... Greece. Okay, but was that because one of... Um, one of the four breakups of this, uh, of Alexander's army or empire was placed in Rome? I don't really know. It, I, all this stuff is known. You can find it on the internet. I just don't know it. Um, and, but, but then it talks about um, like a queen of the south. Like I'm pretty sure that's Cleopatra. And then she has something with, I think, Mark Antony, which is in Rome. Um I believe that's the correct name. Um, anyways, it goes on, and then there, there's a lot more like kings, and it's super vague to even... I think even if you really knew your history in that part of the world really well over time, it, it, you'd be throwing darts to say, well, this means this, because it's just super vague, and then we find ourselves all the way in the end times, right? Uh, verse 31 says... Forces from him shall appear and profane the temple. So there's talking about this big, powerful uh, last king, right? And appear and profane the temple and fortress and shall take away the regular burnt offering and they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. Um, now, a, a Roman, uh, the Roman Empire that sacked, um, um, sorry, not empire, emperor, Caesar, that sacked uh, Jerusalem in the year 70 kind of did this, right? So some people will look at this and say, it's just talking about this, but he specifically says this is, he starts talking about the end time, right? So that, uh, that, that wasn't this. And also the, the verses, um, Peter did declare that start of the end times. So, but if you look at 33, um, there's obviously something more to happen. Okay, so, but anyways, set up the abomination that makes desolate. So, he's talking about, if it's not no longer a physical temple, mm -hmm. who are the temple of God, people of God, right? Mm -hmm. But there's an abomination of desolation. There's We just, in, um, in Timothy, we just read mm -hmm. about, watch out for false teachings. He mm -hmm. says people will start going off in all kinds of crazy thinkings, theologies, and philosophies, and whatever, and watch out for these things, right? Uh -huh. Well, here we see that this being set up. 32, he shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant, but the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. So we see a great falling away. We see a lot of people going after strange ways of thinking. They've claimed Christ, but now they're going after strange ways. But the people who know their God, not just claim him, but actually know him and walk in his ways, walk by his spirit, right? They shall stand firm and take action. Mm -hmm. 33, and the wise among the people shall make many understand. So he set up mature sons of God, right? Mm -hmm. Priests and kings to help others who have a heart to, to know the way of the Lord. Um, the, these people are there to help them, right? Mm -hmm. I was just reading, preparing for something else, and uh, Revelation 3 talks about, uh, I'll make you a pillar of my temple in my house. 
right? Mm -hmm. um, and so, though for some days they shall stumble by sword and flame, by captivity and plunder. So he doesn't say this is without difficulty. The mm -hmm. difficulty brings discipline, brings maturity, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, Paul is just saying to Timothy, discipline yourself. But the Lord... <laughs> And it's always better to discipline ourselves so we grow in a way that we choose. I say it's better. It's not, it's not better. It just is. But better to our flesh. I think we like the idea of disciplining ourselves into maturity more than things outside of our control happening to us that make us mature because we didn't have to deal with a new reality. Mm -hmm. Right? I think most people would agree with that. They prefer that. Now, do we choose to do that day to day? Yeah. Well, most of us choose not to. So the Lord is gracious, right? If he's called us to this purpose and we haven't brought ourselves to this place of working, we can't mature ourselves only he can mature us, but we can make ourselves ready to be matured, mm -hmm. right? Um, but he's gracious. If we don't, if he's called us and we're going and we're, he's got a plan for us and we're, and we're kind of eager, but our flesh is weak. Well, he'll bring about circumstances that, help us in that situation right and they will feel terrible when they happen but we'll look back on them and say they were wonderful you see that 37 he shall pay no so this is times in some you know great king this is might be the man of lawlessness the new testament talks about he shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers or to the one beloved by women he shall not pay attention to any other god for he shall magnify himself above all um Anyways, it's uh, it's kind of how eleven ends. I mean, there's way more verses after that, but um, so just long. yeah, all right. And we're ending in Psalm fifty-five, and David's actually struggling with the same thing we just talked about. Um, he says, verse nineteen, starting in nineteen, God will give ear and humble them who is enthroned from of old. Um, mm -hmm. because they do not change and do not fear God. So he's talking about people that um, are supposed to, because just for some background, and we'll get there in a minute, but he, he's got a friend, his close friend, companion, mm -hmm. who's betrayed him and gone not the way of God, but his own way. Mm -hmm. And he's saying God will humble him and them that are going that way, Right. 20, my companion stretches out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant. His speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. So th this is exactly how he described that man, the, that last king in Daniel, right? Mm -hmm. And he's saying, you know, he convinced people with smooth words. There were people of God, but he convinced them to not walk in the way of God, but to go a different way, right? It's the same exact way. 22, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. Same thing, right? Mm -hmm. Daniel said that the men of God, what, what was the... Let's see if I can find it real quick. Um, yeah, he will... Verse Daniel eleven thirty two. He shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant, but the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. 
the wise among the people shall make many understand, right? Well, here you have a similar kind of thing. 20, so he's just talking about 20, 20, my companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant. His speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. So that's the one side of the coin, right? And the other side, 22, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. So for those who fully trust in the Lord, for tr who truly seek the Lord and are not moved by what's going on in the world or by the fine-sounding arguments, as Paul said to Timothy, um, uh, you know, but always seek the Lord in his way. He said, the righteous will not be moved. 23, but you, O God, will cast them down into the pit of destruction. Men of blood and treachery shall not live out half their days. So, yeah, there's judgment on those, but he says, I will trust in you. And it doesn't really say it, but it's inferred, like, I will walk in your blessing. God has always offered his covenant over and over again to his people, saying, walk in my ways and I will bless you, right? Don't, and you will walk into curse. Well, it's the same thing here. But it's unspoken. But I will trust in you. I will walk in your ways, Lord, and you will bless me because that has always been your promise. Mm -hmm. Right? Um, okay. Well, anything else? That's all I have. No. God bless you. God bless you.